making sure that they have the track record to execute it. And then when you look at that, you can look at case studies again and even talk to references would be my recommendation. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we are talking about a couple things, how to assess the three different types of risk categories when you're buying an apartment building, and also how to raise money if you don't have an established track record, but you're competent enough to start raising money, because there's a distinction there. So let's see, how do you want to tackle this, Theo? So let's start with the first discussion, which is about the evaluating the risks when investing in an apartment. And just for some context, this is mostly for an apartment investor who's going to syndicate a deal or buy it on their own and kind of the three things to look at to evaluate the deal. But also keeping in mind that if you are syndicating a deal and you are bringing on past investors, these are things that are going to help them have more confidence and investing in your deal. Because again, if these are risks for you, they're also going to be risks for your past investors. And you want to proactively address those when you're actually having the conversations with the investors, either before you have a deal or when you actually have a deal under contract and you're securing investments. So with that out of the way, the three factors that we look at are the deal itself, the market that the deal is in, and then the team that is managing the deal. And so I've got some bullet points to go over for each of those, but do you want to just touch on kind of what your company looks at when you're valuing the deal, the market, and the team, and then how you kind of communicate what you guys do to mitigate the risks for each of those? Yeah, sure. Ultimately, it is about risk mitigation. There's risk in anything. There's risk in what we do. There's risk in what whatever 
you're doing, Theo, there's risk in any type of real estate investment. And if someone tells you otherwise, then run the other direction. Maybe triple net lease, but there's still risk on a triple net lease. So what we look at from a risk mitigation standpoint, because that's the name of the game, right? You got to be comfortable with the risk versus what the potential returns are and how can you mitigate that risk with as much as you can. Let's talk about the deal itself. Since you started off with the deal as your first thing, and we'll talk about the deal first. The deal itself needs to align with a business plan that for us is relatively conservative while still having the upside that allows everyone to make a healthy projected profit. And the way we approach that is we buy stabilized properties that are cash flowing from day one, and then we enhance the revenue stream through value-add tactics, primarily renovating the interiors. With that context, now when we look at a deal, the ideal deal would be one that has a small percentage of the apartments already renovated and commanding or generating that rent premium that we're projecting. Because that already proves the business plan that we are going to put in place. And think about it from outside of real estate. Just think about it from any business. If you are buying a business and it is already cash flowing and your plan is to implement a plan that has already been proven within the business, you're going to be setting yourself up for some success, assuming that you can at minimum replicate what they're doing and best case scenario, you optimize what they're doing. So ideally, we have some small percentage of units that have been renovated already commanding the rent premiums that we're looking to command. Because the primary way we add value is through interior renovations. I mean, there's many other things that we do from optimizing expenses to getting some efficiencies with our relatively large portfolio of 3,000 units or so to building carports and things like that, maybe doing a concierge trash pickup service. But ultimately, the main thing we do is the renovations of the interiors. So having that proven business model. I'll just talk about that one point and then I'll move on to the other two categories because all of them bleed into each other, really. From a team standpoint, you'll want a team that has been there and done that before. And you'll want to see that the team has case studies that they can share for how they've grown. First, they've implemented that same business plan, that they've grown the NOI from X to Y. And you can see the track record for them and that take place. You also want to know who's going to be on the ground. Who's your on the ground partner or people who are executing the business plan. Because it's one thing to have an idea and to write it down in a Word document that's 12 pages long and is formatted properly and highlighted perfectly and underlined and bolded and everything. But then if you don't have anyone to execute it, then it's not worth paper is printed on. So it's about the execution. And as a passive investor, One thing I would always do is I would make sure that I'm qualifying the team that's actually executing the plan and making sure that they have the track record to execute it. 
And then when you look at that, you can look at case studies again and even talk to references would be my recommendation. And then on a market standpoint, it boils down to a handful of variables in my opinion. And one of the most important ones in my opinion is the economic diversity of the market. I was born in Flint, Michigan, but my family moved from Flint, Michigan to Houston, actually. And then we moved to Fort Worth, Texas, where I grew up for most of my life. We moved from Flint, Michigan to Texas because the automotive industry went in the tank in the 1980s. And Detroit's still struggling. Clawing their way back. And I see you, Detroit. You're doing well. You're doing better than you were. But it's still a struggle for various reasons. And one of the reasons is because it was dependent on one industry, automotive. And when that went down, then the whole city and the whole region, and some would say the whole state or a lot of the state's economy suffered. So I don't want to put our investments in that type of situation in that type of market where it's dependent or heavily reliant on one industry. So I look for something that is less than 20% of the overall jobs go to one industry in a particular market. For example, Dallas-Fort Worth, I believe the highest percent is about 17%. Las Vegas hospitality industry is north of 25% to give you some comparison. So there's multiple things we look at, but that's one thing. And then it's not just market. But it's also sub-market. So, okay, Dallas is great, but Dallas is a big old city. And Detroit may not be the best, but there are some parts of Detroit that are very affluent. So what specific sub-market is this property in? And what I look for in the sub-market is, one, the medium household income. It depends on your business plan and the rent premiums you're looking to project. But we want at least $45,000 in the submarket within a mile or three mile radius of the property. Also just look for employment. What's driving employment? Is it one industry, one employer, or is it multiple industries? Because again, even though the market might be diversified, if that submarket is not diversified, then if that one job or industry goes away from the submarket, then you're gonna have the same problem that I discussed earlier. There's multiple things we look at, but those are some highlights for a passive investor who is looking at a deal to think through and to evaluate. And then for apartment syndicators, as you're putting these deals together, things to consider so that you can mitigate the risk. It sounds like for the market, you want to obviously have your certain factors you look at that you're evaluating, but also have what that factor should be from a number standpoint, and then the reason behind it needing to be like that. For example, you're looking at the economic diversity, it needs to be below 20% because if that industry were to take a hit, then the majority of the jobs in that industry will go away. Instead of kind of just having a market evaluation and saying, I want unemployment to be under 8%. And that's kind of, you just stop there. Well, why does employment need to be under 8%? How does that have a benefit to your investing? Mm -hmm. And then for the other two, it sounds like it's just proof. Has the team proven that they can do what they're going to do with the property in the past? And what evidence do you have to support that? And then also for the deal, is it what you're going to do to the property, a continuation of what was already done at the proven rents that you're projecting? Or are you going to start from scratch and are just hoping that you're going to get that 
Something else that I saw kind of looking through some of your guys' investment summaries is that you kind of mentioned this also with the conservative underwriting is that even if, for example, the market is projecting a 9% rent growth and over the previous five years increased by 10% each year, you'll mention that, but you still conservatively underwrote the deal at 2%. So if we don't hit that, that projection does not come to fruition. We're still projecting solid returns. If it does, then you're going to make way more than we're actually projecting. And so it's not necessarily underselling it, but it's just always being conservative and making sure that your assumptions are going to occur and not based off of a projection that may or may not actually happen. And again, that's also based off the proven track record of your team and their ability to get those rental increases. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, and for... People who are, and this kind of segues into the other thing, so I'll I'll mention it, and then if there's still some things to talk about with the three risk factors, then we can go back to it. But it's a natural segue for syndicators or potential syndicators who don't have that track record. Because I just talked about, and you talked about how important the track record is for someone to invest with you. Well, if you don't have the track record, then you've got to heavily partner with people who do and you have to have a extreme alignment of interests with those individuals who have the track record that way you can leverage their background and their experience because when i was starting out i had bought four single family homes and that's it so most of us start in a place that doesn't have experience most of us weren't born into a real estate family that owns thousands of apartments. So in order to get that experience, you can partner with a property management company. That's what we did at the early stages. And they brought their track record along with case studies of how they've improved properties from point A to point B. And that aligned with the type of plans that we were doing with our properties that we were partnering with them on. They brought money to the deal and they brought their investors to the deal. We gave up a big old chunk of the deal, but that's okay because we're able to leverage their experience, mitigate the risk until we have the credibility to stand on our own two feet and make sure that we can do the deal without partnering with another group. So the opportunities are there. You're likely going to give up a chunk of the deal but it's an effort that's probably necessary in order to get going. Exactly. And then I know you've also interviewed a couple of people on your podcast. They did this for fix and flipping, but I don't see why it wouldn't work for apartment syndication as well. But they will find, again, from, a fix, from the fix and flipper perspective, they'd find the top fix and flipper in their local market and just basically either work for them for free or ask to shadow them for a year or two just to kind of learn the ins and out. And then... Again, from the apartment syndication perspective, if you're doing that with an apartment syndicator, you can then go to your investors and say, hey, for the past year, I've worked with this apartment syndicator. He's done this many deals. He's been doing it for this long. You can even ask that person to be a partner on the deal just so you can kind of use their name recognition to raise money and then obviously ask them for help when needed. So kind of similar to what you were, you were saying, just finding someone with the experience and partnering with them and not being worried about having to give them a part of a deal because as they say, a percentage of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can also partner with the brokers who are representing the seller. I've done this before 
and bring them in to the deal with you, give them percent ownership in the deal. And that will likely, if you are in an even race with others for the deal, then that will likely nudge you ahead because now the broker has incentive. Now, certainly the broker has to be transparent with the owner and whatever else the broker has to do to adhere to broker guidelines. I don't know. I'm not a broker, but I've done that before, partnered with a broker and they've been in the deal with us. And that was at the early stages where equity was a challenge because of our lack of track record. And that allowed us to get a deal early on that we might not have and raise less money for the deal when that was a challenge. It's not really a challenge anymore. And we were able to get in on it. So that's another way to partner with people to make it happen when perhaps you don't because when you couldn't have. Because ultimately, the world's going to tell you you're too young until one day they tell you you're too old. And these are all ways that you can get into the deal at an early stage, assuming that you're competent in the process. Because that's one thing I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that I want to reiterate. We shouldn't raise money just because we see that as an opportunity to make money. We should do it because we know the business. We know what's needed. We know our market. We know how to run the numbers, but we don't have that track record yet. So we just need a partnership to elevate us to the next level. That's when you're ready. Yep. And so just to kind of circle back to the listener, was his name is Marcus. And his question was, how do you raise capital if you have no track record? And the answer, which we've gone over, is basically partner with someone who has the track record and leverage that when having the conversations with your investors. Yeah, and we gave two specific examples already. One is property management company. Two is brokers representing the deal. And then three, a gentleman, Carlos, who I interviewed on the show, on his first deal, he reached out to owners who were in the area of the deal that he was purchasing or he was about to put under contract. And he reached out to owners and asked them if they'd like to partner with him. And that's an audience that is very likely or more likely than other people to partner with you and bring some equity to the deal, or at least bring the experience, the deal, because they already own apartments in your neighborhood. So yeah, they're going to be open to partnering with you. If they can get a chunk of the deal and not do much, maybe put a little bit of money in it, sign on a non-recourse loan, but get a chunk of the general partnership. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to be interested. So that's another way that assumes that you have an opportunity, which I don't recommend finding an opportunity and then figuring out the money. I always recommend figuring out the money first, generating that interest and then finding a deal. But if you happen to be in the deal situation and you don't have the money because you haven't done your homework or aren't prepared, then that is a solution you could look into is reaching out to the local owners in that area. And a secondary benefit of that solution of reaching out to owners, which your company did for one of your deals, it could be a source of deals either now or in the future, because obviously if they are owners, they own deals and they might be coming towards the end of their five-year business plan in the next couple of years. And since they partnered on the deal with you, or since you've reached out to them and already established a relationship, if you continue to reach out to them and stay in contact, that could be a deal that you could secure as well. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you hit the question and the three risks. So do you want to uh, kind of talk about the conference we got coming up and 
I think it's less than two weeks from today or three weeks from today. Two weeks. Yeah, we got a conference, besteverconference.com. You've heard about it. I won't say anything else. We're going to be selling out probably in a week or so. So if you'd like to go, then go to besteverconference.com and get your ticket and looking forward to seeing you there. Also, make sure you guys join the Best Ever Show community on Facebook. We've added, I won't say a new feature, but something else new we're doing is each week we're going to be posting a question, uh, some form or another related to real estate. This week, I'll be the question, what's your favorite real estate investing slash self-development book? And we've got a lot of responses on there. And what we're going to do is each week, depending on how many responses we get, the top answers are all the answers and put them into a blog post. So if you want to have the opportunity to have your name featured in a blog post, make sure you join that community, Best Ever Show community on Facebook and look out for that question each Wednesday. We'll be posting it and submit your answer. And then the next week, we'll include a link to that blog post so you can see if you're featured and share it with your friends or other and your colleagues to, to show them that you were featured in a blog post. And then finally, to wrap up, we've got our review of the week. So make sure you go to the best real estate investing advice ever show on iTunes and leave a review for your opportunity to be the review of the week. This week, we've got a review from Greg Boyer. So he actually put his full name in there, which I think is smart. <laughs> and he said, uh, real estate investment advice, active and passive as the title. And he said, Joe Fairless has an incredible podcast on the real estate space. What sets his podcast among the best is the quality of his interview. He asks insightful questions, redirects guests if they needed to get answers to important questions and ask questions that other interviewers may be uncomfortable asking. The result is in-depth, practical information from many of the country's most successful real estate companies and investors. His quick summary at the end highlights the major takeaways from the interview. You would be hard-pressed to get as much information in so little time. Well, Greg, thank you so much for giving the review. And I know we've had a conversation before and I appreciate it. I love it when people say they're going to do something and then they do it. It's a lost art. It really is being true to your word. So I sincerely appreciate that. As far as not putting a name, I would have preferred something like Dancing Queen 97 or something like that. But if you want to put your name, then that's cool too. I'm just kidding. So Greg, thanks a lot for the review and best ever listeners. I sincerely appreciate reviews that you do on iTunes because again, that helps with securing interview guests of high quality. So thanks for being with us today. Hope you have a wonderful Friday and we will talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor patch of land has got the document for you that you've got to check out. If you're a fix and flipper, they show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.